Inside the Hoodie, brought to you by the FanView Network. I'm Bobby Kravitsky. You can find me on Twitter, at Bobby underscore K91. Alongside me, as always, is that handsome devil, Jeff Kane. You can find him on Twitter, at Jeff Kane 78 And of course, you should be following the show on Twitter, Inside the Hoodie, at ITH underscore FV. The FV, of course, stands for FanView Network. Jeff We're going to start with a signing today that, though obvious, made the big fell a little bit angry, and that was bringing back LeGarrette Blount. Don't remind me about bringing back LeGarrette Blount. You know, give me something sexy in life, not LeGarrette Blount. I mean, screw the Tennessee Titans for bringing him into the NFL as an undrafted free agent. Screw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for giving him a shot at a 1,000-yard season. Screw Greg Schiano for trading him to the Patriots and screw Le'Veon Bell for being better than the Garrett Blount was. So he got cut by the Steelers and came back. Listen, I understand the guy ran for, you know, 763 yards last year. He's run for 700 yards twice in three years for the Patriots. He's just so one-dimensional. When he's on the field, you know it's not a pass. And if it is a pass, it's, it's, it's a play-action pass. I, I understand it's a one-year deal. You know, you bring him in, he knows the system, but all he's going to do is take up reps from a young, developing uh, running back that they could draft in the second, third, or fifth round. They don't have a fifth rounder, so screw the fifth round. Trade pending. We'll see what happens. Jeff, I agree with you, but at the same time, he had a solid season last year. He was just fine for them. However, my big concern is LeGarrette Blount is a player who is known to have success against lighter defensive fronts and then disappear when you need him to show up against the more stout front sevens like the Denver Broncos in that 2013 AFC Championship when it was apparent from the first time he touched the ball that he wasn't going to be able to have success and the Patriots weren't going to be able to rely on the ground game to help get it done that day. And ultimately, it was a huge part of the story as to why they came up short, just like it was again in 2015. So while this is a position that still needs to be upgraded, even with him back in the fold, I like the idea of going into the draft and entering training camp with LeGarrette Blount back in the mix as at the very least an insurance policy because you obviously don't know how the draft is going to play out. And once you get into training camp, you don't know how that rookie running back, assuming the Patriots take one and they might take two, is going to translate to the next level, especially in his rookie season. Uh, Yeah, I can agree there. 
you know, the one thing you get with uh, Legarrette Blount is a guy who you know has had success in the league and has had success with the Patriots. Um, but again, that's one of those things that I'm not huge on. Uh, you get a guy that's now going to be on the wrong side of 30, uh, you know, never been fleet of foot, and, and you hit the nail on the head with the fact that he does not, um, you know, run well against stacked fronts. And that's all that you have to do. I mean, I understand that the Patriots now with the, uh, with the signing of Martellus Bennett and, um, you know, Rob Gronkowski, that they can, they can go out in, you know, uh, 12 personnel and, and, and possibly run out of that position. Um, and hopefully that'll allow more dime packages and let LeGarrette Blount run against that. But at the same point, what, I mean, what do you got? You got a guy who just, you know, isn't an every down back. And, and I've been saying it for years, ever since Corey Dillon left here, you need an every down back. I hate this big back, little back thing. Um, bring me that every down back. Especially with the Patriots taking a step to once again become less predictable with Martellus Bennett in the fold. Whereas last year, you have Michael Williams out there, you know what's coming. And if you have Scott Chandler out there, you also are able to pick up on what the Patriots are going to run. You know that it's going to be a pass play with Chandler, a run with Williams. So at least having Bennett on the opposite side or even next to Gronk makes it less predictable. They'll also get a fullback once again in the backfield, whether that's James Devlin, if he can return to form, or if they end up, because of roster spots, deciding to rely more on Clay Harbor in that role. But ultimately, the running back position itself needs to be upgraded. Too many of the backs on the current roster are pass-catching backs. They're sub-backs. So hopefully that gets addressed in the draft and gets upgraded from including the now most recent running back to enter the fold in LeGarrette Blount. Let's transition, Jeff, to a position that you like a lot, not as much as the running game, but you can relate to the big uglies up front. So let's start by breaking down the ones on the roster as it stands today. That is Nate Solder, who missed the majority of last season. He figures to once again return as the starting left tackle. Then you have Sebastian Vollmer, who can once again play his natural spot at right tackle, followed by Marcus Cannon, Adrian Waddle, and Cameron Fleming. What do you make of that group? I don't hate it. I don't love it. Um, I've always been a big proponent of Nate Soldier. I think he is um, a very good uh, left tackle. Um, You know, he stepped in uh, his rookie year, played a little – uh, tight end, played right tackle, played left tackle, and once Matt Light retired, has been a phenomenal uh, replacement for Matt Light. You you really could not ask for a better replacement. He's very much like Matt Light. He's no, you know, all-star left tackle, but he's consistent every single week. Uh, he's going to come out there. He's going to play well for you. He's going to get have a little hard time with the speed rushers, but at the same point, he's going to, you know, be able to play in the running game, the passing game, and block well both ways. Uh, I, you know, Sebastian Ballmer, he's just, to me, he's just too injury prone. Uh, ever since, you know, he was drafted in the second round of 2009, he's just been an injury risk for the New England Patriots. Um, does not play well on the left side. We saw that this this season. Um, you know, he's a right tackle. 
and he's 32 years old. So, you know, and he's in the last year of his contract. So, you know, it's time to draft someone that can take the spot of uh, Sebastian Vollmer. Uh, I like Lee Adrian Waddle. I like what I saw out of him in the brief time that they was with the New England Patriots um, after getting claimed from the uh, from the Detroit Lions. Uh, I like what I saw. Bigger body. Started some games at right tackle in this spot. Would not be surprised to see him uh, unseat uh, Sebastian Vollmer this year at the right tackle position. I think he's the type of player that can have that kind of impact on this team. Marcus Cannon. Uh, I, I don't understand why he's still on this team. Um, you know, huge cap hit. Um, you know, I guess bringing back Dante Skarnecchia um, is huge for Marcus Cannon because Cannon played very well at right tackle in 2013 um, when Sebastian Vollmer went down with a broken leg in the sixth game of the season. Um, so I, I look at that. It's not too bad. And Cameron Fleming, you know, he's nothing more than a camp body, um, you know, practice squad guy who, you know, was rushed into duty last year because of all the injuries. Yeah, as far as Fleming goes, and we'll gloss over him quickly for obvious reasons, just don't think he has the necessary athleticism or quickness to have success at this level, maybe in a different system on another team that changes, but haven't seen it in New England and even with Skarnakia back in the mix, there's only so much he can do. Nate Solder, to me, you nailed it right there with his strengths and what his shortcomings are. Sebastian Vollmer, most people think that this is his last season in New England. I think that even with the back injuries that have plagued him throughout his career, and he, of course, broke his leg and missed almost all of the season two years ago, I still think that he's been a very consistent, very productive right tackle who this year showed the versatility to play left tackle. Was he great over there? No, but he was solid. It could have gone a lot worse with that experiment for a player with minimal experience on the opposite side of the offensive line. So I think he held down the fort the best he can. Marcus Cannon, personally, I would like to see that be the spot they upgrade. They don't need a swing tackle as much as they need someone who they can draft and develop into replacing Vollmer next season as a starting right tackle while Adrian Waddle serves as a backup at left tackle. But again, Jeff, you talk about Vollmer's injuries. Waddle was fine when he got thrown into the fire here, but then in that Jets game, he doesn't play all that much, still manages to get himself hurt He's got more of an injury history than Sebastian Vollmer, despite not being in the league as long. So that was disappointing to me that he not only got hurt, but couldn't give it a go against Miami. So we'll see this training camp, how the Patriots feel about him and how much they feel like they can rely on a player who has an injury history. It's a huge part of the reason why they were able to get him from Detroit. It wasn't as much a question of talent as it was can he stay on the field? We hear Bill Belichick say all the time, the best ability is availability. Lajan Waddle has not really demonstrated that. Now, as we look to who might one day replace Sebastian Vollmer and who could take Marcus Cannon's spot this coming season, let's look at some of these offensive tackle prospects. We start with one of the biggest names on the board, LaRaven Clark, 6'5", 316 pounds from Texas Tech. Jeff there are major concerns as to whether or not the former second team All-American can hold up on the edge at the next level. Do you think he is better suited 
to slide inside, or would you like to see him be given a chance to hold his own as an NFL bookend? Well, the problem with Clark is is just that. There are so many concerns out there. Um, you know, can he be that every down left tackle? And he'd probably start off as a right tackle in the NFL. Um, you know, in um, college, he started out at right guard before his final three years, uh, turning around and playing at the left tackle position. Um, is one concern, big concern for him, he doesn't get beaten to the outside as much. He gets beaten to the inside. Um, so is, is that something the Patriots can deal with? Because right now they allow, uh, you know, when the offensive line is healthy, uh, you know, you have a guy like Nate Soldier who can get beaten to the outside. But with good play at center, uh, with Brian, Brian Stork, um, you know, and, and good play at guards with both uh, Jonathan Cooper and probably Shaq Mason, who I think are going to be the starters this year, two very athletic guards, um, you know, you, you'd, I think you'd rather get beaten to the outside um, where you can basically let Brady step up and throw the football, develop a pocket. If he's beat inside, you know, that's going to open things up. I mean, if he's beat inside and a guy like Jonathan Cooper or a guy like Shaq Mason has to work off their left shoulder or their right shoulder, depending on where uh, Clark is starting, uh, then that's going to open up things in the A-gaps between the center and the guard uh, for pressure to come up through the middle. And I'd much rather have pressure come up uh, around the sides on Tom Brady, allowing him to step up in the pocket and complete the pass, then pressure up his face, uh, which really makes Brady uh, less of a accurate quarterback throughout his entire career, um, and especially um, in the last seven or eight years. We've seen a lot of uh, you know times in the playoffs where uh, they've been dominated the the offensive line, and it's been up the middle. Now, last year was a little bit of a difference because uh, Von Miller and um, Demarcus Ware, uh, you know, ate them up on the outsides, but you also had uh, Wolf, who uh, got up through the middle a couple times on Tom Brady. And if you look back to 2013, no further than the new newest Patriots in uh, Pot Roast, um, who absolutely own uh, Logan Mankins uh, and really gave Tom Brady a hard time. He did, Jeff. When I look at LaRaven Clark, I see someone who has the physical tools that you look for in a top 10 pick. Where he needs to improve is his fundamentals and building a foundation. And that's where you rely on an elite offensive line coach like Dante Scarnecchia to groom him. He has elite foot quickness, 36-inch arms. He's got massive mitts, and scouts rave about his intellect. So he's someone who, from a physical perspective, really stands out and has big-time potential. But the knock on Clark and the reason why... He's more likely to go late first round, somewhere in the second round, perhaps even as late as late in the second round, is because he's coming from a gimmicky offense at Texas Tech where it's going to require a lot of seasoning for him to have success and be ready to hold his own at the next level. But it doesn't change the fact that Clark is going to enter the NFL with elite potential. Can't agree with you. I can't not agree with you there. You know, he does have – the big P word, potential, you know. He's got A-plus potential, but right now he's a C-plus player. That's right, and so we'll see what team feels confident taking him and how early they take him. I personally would be ecstatic to see the Patriots get their hands on the big fella from Texas Tech. Speaking of big fellas, we're going to go now to Taylor Decker, 6'7", 310, Ohio State product. Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year last season, and 
His NFL.com draft profile just so happens to compare him to Sebastian Vollmer. Here's where that pipeline might kick back up. Uh, you know, we've always talked here about the Rutgers pipeline and Greg Schiano and uh, the uh, Ferenz uh, pipeline when he was over at Fresno State. Uh, you remember a couple years ago when the Patriots drafted quite a few Florida players, Jermaine Cunningham, Aaron, Dob uh, Aaron Hernandez, and then, of course, um, uh, Brandon Spikes. And that was Urban Meyer's program down in Florida. Urban Meyer, of course, now the coach at Ohio State. Does this become the new pipeline? Is Ohio and Ohio State, you know, great, great team, uh, conference champion, champion last year, a year before they won it all. Um, you know, this is a tackle that can play a little bit better of a run blocker than he is a pass blocker. But you're right, uh, he's got the physical tools, uh, Big Ten offensive tackle of the year, and you know, it, it's the type of guy. He's mean, he's aggressive, and, and could really take to extreme coaching in New England under Dante Skarniecki and Bill Belichick. Jeff, I watched plenty of Taylor Decker last season and went through the tape. And what was reaffirmed to me is that he's not a good fit for New England because he doesn't have the athleticism the Patriots look for at tackle. 6'7 is certainly a checkmark for height. And 3'10 could stand to get bigger. But you've seen what a physical, what a tough player he is but I just don't know about his ability in pass protection. Now, he would certainly struggle against speed rushers just like Volmer and Solder do because of that size and the fact that he doesn't have great bend when he plays. However, I just don't see the athleticism the Patriots look for, the mobility in their tackles. It's part of the reason that he struggles to hold his own in pass protection. So as much as I like Taylor Decker's physical makeup, his mental makeup, I just think that he is destined to play somewhere else. Uh, yeah, I can agree with you there, although I do believe that the pipeline is strong and it could it could turn things around. In watching a little bit of game film on him, the one thing I did notice is he stands awfully tall in that uh, in that stance. He doesn't, as you're right, he doesn't have great bend. Uh, so speed rushers and edge rushers are going to be able to get the leverage on him. So that's one thing, you know, swing and miss. You don't want to see that anymore. Jeff, now we go to a player who I was curious because I didn't know too much about him for much of this draft process, <laughs> but I heard Patriots people bring his name up. And in fact, when we had our own Drew Kennedy on the program, he brought up German Ifedi, probably butchered that name, but that's okay. 66324 from Texas A&M. You get to looking him up. And I'm curious to compare notes here. So I want to start by putting the ball in your court, Jeff, and just hearing what your opinions were of the big fella from Texas A&M. In a little bit that I got to watch of Texas A&M, um, he's nasty. He's mean. Think on the offensive line, think how nasty and mean Logan Mankins was at left guard. This is the type of guy that you're going to get in the man that I can't pronounce his name. So I'm not even going to attempt to. So I'm hoping the Patriots don't draft him. Um, but listen, this is the type of guy that he's physical, he's strong, he can play the left side, he can play the right side, um, took over for Luke Jokel and did a, a fine job there. So I, I'm looking at it, and I would not mind him here. Right now, I'm looking at him as a fringe first-round pick, so I don't know if he's going to be there at 61 or 62 when the Patriots draft, but definitely has uh, you know the NFL size, speed, athleticism and smarts to play 
and he plays with that nasty mean streak. And I love myself an offensive lineman with a nasty mean streak. Yeah, he certainly has that. I like the Logan Mankins comparison in that regard. However, Jeff, I think this is someone who is better suited to play on the inside at guard than he is at tackle. His pad level is too high. He often reverts to lunging, and he has a tendency to try and grab his assignment relying on his hands rather than trying to secure his block. So as much as I love the physical tools, I just look at Ifedi and think that he's a guard. That sounds too much to me like what we heard from out of Marcus Cannon coming out of TCU. Way too much like him projecting as a right guard in the NFL. Um, So you know what? All that nice stuff I talked about with the nastiness and all that stuff, take him off the board. (laughs) Your your scouting report there, uh, Mel Kuyper Jr., uh, just told me that – It's got to be the hair, right? It's definitely the hair. He he told me that he is the next coming of Marcus Cannon. See you later. There we go. Deuces to Jermaine Ifedi. Now we're going to go back to the Big Ten, all the way over to Hoosierville in Indiana, where we're going to take a look at Jason Spriggs, 6'6", 301 pounds. Man, I don't like seeing that from a tackle. I don't care what level you are. 301 pounds for a tackle, not great. And on the plus side, he's a terrific athlete, but clearly, Jeff, this is a player who needs to add muscle to his frame, needs to also do a better job from a technical standpoint of recovering, being able to handle counter moves. But I do think that watching him play, if he's able to just live in the weight room and get the necessary strength and muscle, that he can play left tackle at the next level. Just because he's, you know, 301 pounds doesn't mean this guy doesn't have muscle, though, Bobby. 31 reps on the 225 bench press. That's unbelievable. Athletic, a sub-5 um, 40 time for an offensive tackle. That's insane. Probably going to start off, again, right tackle side, but before long wouldn't be too surprised if he could move over to left tackle. Uh, does have the athletic ability, as we said, that the Patriots like, so – This is a type of guy that you could see become a developmental tackle for the Patriots, a la a Nate Soldier, um, you know, who I believe came out of college at 307 pounds. So we're not talking uh, too much more there. Um, And, you know, the weight is one thing, but the fact that, you know, he turned around and did 31 uh, bench presses at 225, uh, you know, that's really impressive. And, again, uh, you know, I don't know why they time offensive linemen in the 40-yard dash because – they're never going to run 40 in their life. But the fact that he did it in sub five, uh, it's faster than number 12. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a terrific point right there. Probably going to be the point of the night. And we're not even halfway through the program just yet. Jeff, you're right. Exceptional athleticism. When you watch him play, do you think he's someone who you can keep at right tackle? Or is he someone who ultimately you need to prepare to transition to the left side of the line? Uh, I think, you know, the whole thing with him is you could definitely keep him at right tackle, um, especially, you know, depending on what your your plans are with Nate Soldier. Um, you know, he's got two years left on his contract. So if you're planning on making Nate Soldier, you know, the next Matt Light and keeping him in New England for 10 years, then why not draft this kid, put him at right tackle, develop him at right tackle, you know, have him spell uh, Nate Soldier every once in a while, every third series, you know, rotate him in and see things happen. But this is the type of guy that I think you could see a lot 
uh, in the Nate Soldier build with the fact that he is athletic. Don't forget, Soldier uh, caught a ball, was a tight end at Colorado, caught a ball in the AFC Championship game, ran in for a touchdown. Uh, this is the same type of athletic tackle, so I wouldn't be too surprised if the Patriots did draft this guy, brought him in, developed him a little bit under Dante Scarnecchia, and then Scarnecchia turns him over to the next line coach, and he's, he's a solid right tackle for the next five to seven years. Spriggs is someone to keep an eye on come the draft. I also think this next prospect is as well from a Patriots perspective, and that's Kyle Murphy, a 6'6", 305-pound tackle from Stanford, so you know he's well-coached. And while Bill Belichick doesn't have the direct connection with David Shaw that he does with the likes of Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano, this is someone who Belichick, like the vast majority of the football community, thinks highly of, and often you hear about those two coaches talking, Belichick, gauging Shaw's opinion on some of his prospects. Pac-12 first-team All-American honors for Murphy, and according to his NFL.com draft profile page, one anonymous AFC general manager questioned whether he has the requisite athleticism to play on the left side or the strength to play on the right side. But when I watched him play, I thought that even though he was better at the left side than the right in college, I think you're looking at a player, Jeff, who, if given the time to develop and to bulk up, is going to be an effective right tackle. Well, the one thing he's got going for him, he's from Stanford, so you know he's smart, okay? He's so he wicked smart. Wicked smart, kid. Wicked smart. But, you know, he can pick up uh, an NFL offense. But, you know, he, he, he is six foot six, 306 pounds, so uh, like Spriggs, as you said, he's going to add some beef onto him. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of film watch on him. Uh, you know, I did do remember watching a little bit of uh, uh, the Stanford games, especially the game against Notre Dame, uh, where he held his own against a very good defense. But at uh, the Senior Bowl against some of the top players in the league, um, his pass protection really did not excite me. Uh, watched that game. I liked what I saw out of his run uh blocking but that that pass blocking you can't stick this guy at left tackle another another guy that can be put at right tackle and slowly worked uh over to be some type of swing tackle uh but i think you know when you look at the the prospects that we've talked about tonight bobby um you know we're more looking for uh sebastian volmer's ultimate replacement than nate soldiers Uh, i think nate soldier coming back in at left tackle um you know you're solid there uh, I think the right tackle is the issue that you're going to have uh, after the 2016 season. Jeff, I completely agree. And looking at some of these prospects, I think the two names that we just discussed most recently, Kyle Murphy and Jason Spriggs, are arguably the best candidates to stick at right tackle at the next level. And so they're two guys, like I said earlier, to really keep an eye on as potential heirs to the throne at right tackle once Sebastian Vollmer moves on, which is likely to happen at the end of this coming season. Another player to keep an eye on who I think could fill that role is Joe Haig from little North Dakota State. Teammate of his, Carson Wentz, may go as high as number two in the draft. We'll see well, We'll see where Haig gets selected, 6'6", 304 pounds, so he could stand to beef up as well he also needs some seasoning his fundamentals Jeff really just so so but again I think that the this is a former All-American who 
will be able to make the jump to the next level, especially if he's able to stick to playing on the right side of the line. I couldn't disagree more, um, not only with this pick, but on uh, the quarterback Wentz. They're both going to suck. North Dakota State. You're just hating on the program. Oh, Dude, come on. North Dakota State. I mean, if we're talking hockey, maybe I'm excited about this, but we're talking football here. North Dakota State, I, I can't even think of anyone that they developed. I mean, South Dakota State gave us Adam and Terry left. North Dakota State, they're too close to Canada. They go, go play hockey. You know what I'm saying, man? Uh, but that's what I'm saying. It, both yeah, the North, Dakota, North Dakota State would beat Tony Romo's alma mater, and look how he turned out. That's a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, no, it really isn't that good of a quarterback. If he's you think a good quarterback. He might not be elite, not a but he's a good quarterback. No, he, he, how, many, how many playoff wins does he have? One. All right. Are you are you really gonna sit here and say that he's bad? Forget forget elite or Hall of Fame or any of that stuff. You can't say that he's a bad quarterback. Serviceable. He's serviceable oh. in the NFL. Billy Volick was serviceable. Tony Romo's a good quarterback. It's serviceable at best. Oh. I'm sorry. I I got no love for Tony Romo. I mean, anyone can pass for four thousand yards and thirty touchdowns in the NFL this uh, now when you can't even touch the guy. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, the wide receivers are allowed to read the other thing. I, I disagree. I, I don't think Romo's a very good quarterback, but, hey, you know what, that's just me. I don't think he's great. I think he's good. He's certainly well above serviceable in my estimation. Now we're going to transition over, Jeff, to the big uglies on the defensive side of the ball, specifically in the trenches on the interior defensive tackle position. Right now, the Patriots have a lot of bodies in Malcolm Brown, Alan Branch, Pot Roast, Dominique Easley coming off another season that ended on IR. They've also got Chris Jones coming back, who didn't play at all last season. They've got the Big Kitchen. They've got Kuhn, who they recently signed, and Joe Volano. A lot of bodies, serious question marks as to whether those last three, and even four names if you include Chris Jones, make the roster at all what do you make of that hodgepodge the Patriots have a defensive tackle well before we do that can I just call you out North Dakota State is not Tony Romo's alma alma mater I I said they would beat him I said they would beat his alma mater (laughs) I'm sorry I thought you said it it was his alma mater Jimmy G played at the same school as Tony Romo but still Tony Romo sucks but listen when it comes to defensive tackle for the New England Patriots here I don't think it is as big of a need uh, for the Patriots as some of the other positions. You know, the swing tackle, the wide receiver, the outside numbers wide receiver, uh, a third cornerback, but uh, a a running back, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. So I I don't feel it's as big of a need, especially when you have two former first-round draft picks in uh, Malcolm Brown. And if Dominic Easley can get through a season healthy, I really like that. I love what they have with Allen Branch next to Malcolm Brown, and I really like the signing of Pot Roast. I think uh, Knighton coming in here as the third defensive tackle really helps to, this team. Uh, you know, we talked about, you talked about Chris Jones, uh, who spent all of last year on uh, IR. He was on the PUP list to start off the season. Um, but, you know, he played valuable minutes as an undrafted uh, rookie free agent. Actually, if I remember correctly, he was drafted by the Texans and ended up in Tampa Bay and then on 
the Patriots roster after uh, the 2013 season. So this is a, a kid who I believe uh, can play. So I'm, if I'm looking at anything, I don't think we're going to see anything in the second or third round as far as defensive tackle goes. I think they've they've done that over the last couple of years. So uh, I'm diving deep when it comes to defensive tackle here. I do believe that they may draft one, especially having 11 picks. Um, because Belichick loves to draft himself some defensive tackles. But I like what's on the roster right now. Jeff, when I look at Chris Jones specifically, I see a player who is coming off of a season that he didn't play at all and has a cap hit of $1.6 million. So I'd be hard-pressed to believe that he's going to make this roster when you look at those two factors. Also. Before I knew anything about this draft class at defensive tackle, I kept hearing that it's so deep that you can find starting caliber players in the fourth and fifth round. So I completely agree with what you said right off the bat, that this is a position that (laughs) should be addressed by the Patriots later and not with a pick in the second round, probably not the third round either. I'd like to see them get a defensive tackle of quality, of course, who they can rely on in the fourth or the fifth round, assuming they tr- make a trade and get a pick to have a spot in the fifth round of the draft this season. But looking at the first three, the signing of Pot Roast was huge athlete right there to solidify that rotation and bring reliable depth because Dominic Easley, though he's a difference maker when he's out there, you just can't rely on a player who came into the NFL with the injury concerns that he had and has finished both of his first two NFL campaigns on injured reserve. So you're looking at three players that you can trust. And then behind that, a lot of question marks, which is why I do think it's important that they address the defensive tackle position in the draft. With that in mind, let's look at who some of these prospects are. And we start with Chris Jones, a 6'6", 300-pound Mississippi State product. This is someone who has the ability to play all along the defensive line. But to be honest, Jeff, I question his motor. He was very inconsistent. And watching him on tape, it reminded me of Rashid Hageman in that sense, a player with exceptional physical gifts, but one whose head isn't always screwed on straight. Well, that's one of those guys, Rashid Hegman. When we had Daniel Jeremiah on the program, uh, when Hegman was coming out, he pegged him to be a New England Patriot. And I think you've hit the nail on the head right there. It's that motor. You know, when it's going, uh, this is a kid who can make some plays in the backfield, uh, you know, tackles for loss, um, you know, can get a little pass rush move here and there. But you got to worry about the commitment. you got to worry about the motor. Is he going to play 100% as, uh, you know, other players do. He's not going to be Teddy Bruschi full tilt, full time. This is a guy that takes way too many plays off. Yeah, completely agree with you there, Jeff. So when you look at a player who's so inconsistent like that, do you think coming to New England, playing for Bill Belichick, do you think that could change that? Or would you rather not even bother taking the time to find out and go ahead and draft someone else at this position? Uh, again, I not huge on drafting anyone at this position. So yeah, I, I would turn around and, and draft someone else in this position. Uh, you know, a guy that you can work in uh, who has a high motor. And, and I mean, really Jones, you know, uh, 
seven and a half tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Really good last year, but only two and a half sacks. Um, not extremely big. I mean, at, at 6'5", 3'10", so he's, he's not the prototypical run stuffer that, that you see um, from uh, Malcolm Brown or uh, or um, uh, Knighton here. So you, you're getting kind of a tweener um, here for the Patriots, and I, I don't feel it fits with what they have and what they need. Yeah, and I just think that he's going to come off the board too early, and even if he's there – when the Patriots are picking in the second round, it's just not worth it when you look at the position and the player. Value doesn't match up, so I'd like to see them pass on him as well. Here's a player who I mentioned Drew Kennedy earlier in the show. Drew came on and referenced Hassan Ridgeway as well, so I decided to add him to the list of prospects that we should take a look at. 6'3", 303 pounds from Texas, and... He's got a history of injuries that have caused his draft stock to fall. He missed some time last season as well. And his conditioning also happens to be a serious concern for NFL teams. But, Jeff, he does have the power and athleticism to be a three-down player. He does. He he definitely does. He's... You know, he played in a good conference uh, in the Big 12 with the Longhorns, Hook'em Horns. But, um, you know, he can get after the quarterback. He's played on the inside. He's played on the outside. He, he, he can be a handful, um, you know, as a as a defensive end. He can be a handful as a defensive tackle, depending on where he's going. He can put his hand in the dirt or he can stand up. Um, I, I like this guy, but he put in some really, really good games. But there were also games where he disappeared. Yeah, I completely agree. Again, it's another player with a lot of physical tools, but the inconsistency is a serious concern. So I'd rather see the Patriots pass. They already have a defensive tackle with a history of injuries and Dominique Easley. They don't need to add another to the mix. Speaking of Dominique Easley, we go to his alma mater, Florida. Let's take a look at Jonathan Bullard, 6'3", 285 pounds. So he's certainly not the biggest player at this position. But to be honest, he was someone who stood out to me on film. He's got the versatility to rush from the inside or play at the end of the line, a la Dominique Easley. And while there's plenty he needs to improve at, there's nothing to me that indicates that he can't make those adjustments. When you're talking about the draft, too many people focus on what can't player X do. I think the question needs to be, do we think he ultimately can do these things or not? Not whether or not he can do them right now, but do we think in our system we can develop those traits, those aspects that we need from him? And watching Bullard on tape, there's nothing to me where I said, uh, he's probably not going to be able to do this or that effectively at the next level. I think it's really a question of whether or not he's willing to put in the work. And watching him on tape, he wasn't an inconsistent player. I've heard nothing about character concerns. So this is someone who stood out to me who I think is going to make a good NFL defensive tackle. I, I really like this kid. And, uh, you know, at 285 pounds, sure, he's a little bit small, a little bit of a tweener. Um, but he's the type of guy that you could set up as a, um, you know, a pass rush specialist in sub, uh, sub packages. Uh, he could be a, a defensive end. He could be a defensive tackle at any point and rush the passer on passing downs. Uh, to me, this is not an every-down tackle. 
Uh, this is a guy that you'd bring in in sub packages. 17 and a half tackles for loss last year, um, playing in an extremely great conference in the SEC. Uh, and he was one of the better defense, uh, run defenders in Florida. He has that quickness off the ball. Uh, reminds me a lot of what we saw out of Dominic Easley uh, coming out of Florida. Uh, you know, I lined up, I watched some of the tape between the two of them, and they do remind me a lot of each other. So is this the type of guy you bring in in the, uh, you know, in one of the rounds here, I, I've seen mock drafts that have him as as high as a uh, you know a, a, a first tier um, uh, second round player who you know if he had some more bulk on him he'd be a, a top fifteen player. Um, so I, I look at him, I, I see a lot of easily in him, I see a lot of uh, ability here, and is this the type of guy that you draft um, to get after the quarterback in that sub rush? We saw how how great that works last year with. Uh, Jabal Sheard, Rob Ninkovich, and of course um, Chandler Jones as you know a, a three-headed monster. If you bring in this kid here, does he work well with Malcolm Brown, Dominic Easley, Chris Jones, you know, and, and these other guys um, as a as a guy on third down who can get after the pass rusher and keep the other defensive tackles, you know, uh, getting some oxygen on the side of the field. Yeah, I think he'd be an excellent complement to what the Patriots have now at defensive tackle. Also a bit of an insurance policy for Dominique Easley. And at the same time, I like the idea of him being able to learn from veterans like Alan Branch and Terrence Knighton. Yes, very different style of play, but having those veterans in the film room, in the meeting rooms with him at positional meetings, I think would serve a great value to Bullard long-term. We're going to end the night by throwing a bit of a curveball here. We're going to look at Sean Oakman from Baylor, 6'8", 287-pound defensive end. So great length right there and two pounds heavier than the defensive tackle we just discussed, Jonathan Bullard. Jeff, before I even watched tape on him, I was curious whether or not this is a player who could make the transition to playing mostly from the inside as a sub rusher. When you watched him on film, did you think he could make that jump or not so much? The, the question that I have is the height. Uh, is the 6'8 going to be a detriment to what he does? Um, you know, defensive tackles, you don't see a ton at his height. Um, you really don't see a lot of defensive ends at his height either, uh, but does have a motor a little bit on the lean side, if you ask me. But in sub-rush packages, I could see him, uh, you know, moving in and, and, and getting up those A-gaps um, in, in sub-rush packages only. Uh, biggest question mark on the draft for me because I'm not sure where he fits uh, in an NFL defense. Yeah, and I think that's a question that teams are asking themselves. But ultimately, when you look at players who have the tools he does, he has elite length and upper body power by elite standards. So if you just compare the elite at those two characteristics, he's the elite amongst the elite in those respective categories. My question is whether or not he can function inside, not just because of his, his size at six foot eight, which like you said, you put him in the box there on the inside and it could serve as a detriment, but also, I'm just not sure as much as I like the idea of his burst being more effective from the inside than it has been 
on the edge for him, at least in college. I'm just not sure he has the technique as a pass rusher to be effective from the inside. But when you look at a player, Jeff, with those tools, you want to find a spot for him on your team. Oh, I can completely agree with you. You want to find a spot for them on your team because of what they do. But if we're sticking barely, let's look at that 400-pound tight end and put him in there and see what he can do. Uh, that's fair. Uh, not the greatest 40 time on him, but... It's still faster than Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you're just hating on quarterbacks everywhere. I would never hate on the great TV 12. Would never hate. He is slower than death. Although, you know what? I will say at hey, 8... Hey, hey, hey. At Dave age 39, record. or going to be 39, he's got more wheels right now than he did back in at age 22. It's quite impressive for the uh, the old man. And I can call him the old man because Brady will always be one year older than I am. Aha, there we go. That's one thing Jeff has on Tom Brady. So, point Youth. to Mr. And that's Cain. about it. And, I, and you know what? As, as much as Giselle's an absolute beauty, I'll take Mrs. Kane any day over her. Oh, isn't that sweet? I could just throw up. (laughs) All right. Well, for the man who looks better and is younger than Tom Brady, Jeff Cade. I don't look better than Tom Brady, okay? I am younger. I don't look better. I don't have – I got a double – dude, come on. I got a double chin, not a cleft chin. The cleft – the chickies love the cleft. Jeff, the ladies want someone that they can get comfortable with when they're spooning, when they're snuggling like a polar bear you're great for that stuff so i think you might be selling yourself short hey eh, who knows <laughs> by the way that. by the way i just real real quick shout out to the guys at techmobolers.org um for this t-shirt an 8-bit video game back from um the nintendo entertainment system tecmo super bowl shout out to the boys down at techmobol.org for this t-shirt here um tecmo bowl greatest video game of all time um really kicked ass and that's all i gotta say about that i've never played the game i heard that using bo jackson is essentially a cheat code (laughs) but uh there's no better player than video bo bo knows bo Bo also knows bo knows everything he even knows that we're gonna sign off right now the next time we'll be coming to you live on periscope we'll be next tuesday night 9 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to keep it locked right here. Thanks for listening. Have a good night and have a great week. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.